0: Thanks to those who participated in the service, whether it's the instruments, the sound, the singers, the ushers, thank you. You are a part of God's work in his house this morning. And it's interesting, for those of you who are reading through the Bible, if you read Exodus, uh, you will notice how God gave instructions for everyone who is participating in worship, Whether you're building, whether you're painting, whether you are, whatever it was, God gave you the wisdom and the spirit to do it. So please do not feel that any part of this work is less than the other. We are all a part of God's wonderful tapestry. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 begins a new section of this book. For the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul has been building a foundation. He was making sure that what he was about to say later on would have good foundations so that whatever happens, whatever would come their way, they would be able to stand. In fact, when you get to chapter 6, he will say, having done all to stand... And we like this song, do we not? On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Uh, Jesus said this, that the the person who hears his word and trusts in that word, receives that word, I will liken that person like one whose house experienced the wind and the wave. And the blowing against that house, and that house stood because it had foundation. It was built on a foundation. And the one who hears my word and does not believe, does not receive, listen, look, listen. the winds come, and the rains come, so that whether you are a Christian or not, you get the wind. You get the rain. You get the storm. The difference is the foundation. And this is where we are this morning. Paul is moving us from the structure of what we call doctrine. That which a lot of people don't like. Because they say doctrine is is so deep and it's so dry. And I've often wondered of that. I think if doctrine is dry, it's because... The speaker is dry. You know, I don't know, I wasn't here when you were building this this building, but I can I can I can almost I was gonna say bet, but I don't bet, so I don't I can guarantee you that's a better word, that you had fun when you were building this place. There were challenges, I'm quite sure. But, but you, you, as you, you watched the structure going up from the land that was bare, and then the pouring of the, 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 the stuff, <laughs> getting your hands all dirty. What a, what a And then the day came when it was all done. And you looked and you looked and you said, "Just as we planned." This is what we were dreaming about all the time. That's exactly what God is doing. He has given us a blueprint for for the life of a Christian. And then he has used men and women as he would to build upon the structure. And by the Holy Spirit, he writes, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, and, and don't get irritated at this, whenever you see therefore, always ask what it is there for. Because it has reasons. And this is a powerful therefore. Therefore, see he has written three chapters of foundational building. He says, now you are ready to build because you know on what you are building. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore or beseech you, as the old King James translation says, or encourage you, as some other translations have, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, showing tolerance to one another, In love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I remember the first time someone made the jest by saying, the church would be a wonderful place if not for people. I have never used that, nor will I ever. I'll tell you why. Because that is saying something that is an ultimate contradiction. Because you see, the church is people. And without people you can have no... Jesus didn't die for nothings. He died for the church. And the church is made up of people. But the way those people behave toward one another is the key to the church being taken seriously, to the church becoming an example of what we are supposed to be. Dr. Francis Schaeffer, some of you may remember that name, others might not, in the 70s became a very, very prolific writer and an example of what we are called to be. And I remember his book, one of his books, of several books he, he wrote, How Should We Then Live? And I've borrowed his title for the title of the message this morning. How Should We Then Live? If, if I claim that I have been a part of the foundation, how then should we live? I wanted to understand where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote this. He was in prison. He, he was a prisoner of Rome, not for anything bad that he had done, but for his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he, he was positioned between soldiers on either side. He was in a, in a kind of a dungeon that had one window that he could see through when the light of day came. And he wrote to these people, some say that Ephesus it was just the central station, but he wrote it to the churches in the area of Asia. And he said to them, I want to speak to you In what I call the apostolic sense. That is, he has a mission from God. An apostle is one who has been sent. And he claims in verse 1 of chapter 1 that he is an apostle. And being in prison because of being an apostle did not change the fact that he was an apostle and he speaks from that standpoint. So look at what he says. He makes an appeal to the people as an apostle. But he doesn't say, look in verse 1 of chapter 4, he doesn't say that he is a prisoner of Rome. He said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Because my circumstances does not determine my condition or my disposition. Where I am does not determine who I am. He said, I am a prisoner of the Lord. He's not defined by his circumstances, but by his calling. And you will see in a minute that the church is made up of people who are called. So Paul is making his appeal. He's saying to them that there is something to your relationship that has to do with who you are, So that you might behave as you should be, not by pressure, but by nature. Because nature will determine destiny. Who I am, what I do, will come out of who I am. Nature will determine destiny. So look at him. He's in prison. And he doesn't say that Rome owns me. He doesn't say that Caesar owns me. In fact, you know, it's interesting. They they put the Apostle Paul in chains, in bonds. They put him between two sets of soldiers changing every so often. And guess what those soldiers heard when they came on duty? Do you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins? (laughs) Do you know that God so loved the world that he sent his only son? No, I don't know if he said that. But I'm going to tell you what I know. That at the end of his imprisonment, dozens in the household of Caesar became Christians. Because he was not defined by his circumstances. I am a prisoner of the Lord. No matter where I am, it doesn't matter. My, I think of myself in my relationship with him, not in the condition in which I find myself. <laughs> My wife and I were in Portland yesterday. Lois had a um, um, conference for two days in in Portland. And I was supposed to go and pick her up yesterday afternoon. And I did. I, I left home in plenty of time to make sure that when she was through with her conference yesterday in the middle of the afternoon. That I would be there. And I felt so good. I, I put the address in the GPS and I, I, I worried about absolutely nothing. And I was going, I got an I 84 and I was just going along and. Somehow I felt, you're not going to the right place. <laughs> Something is wrong with this thing. So, so I got to the place where I thought was the place. And about 20 after two, Lois called. says, where are you? <laughs> I said, I'm right at the back side of the building. To make a long story short, there are two Crown Plazas in Portland. And my GPS took me to the wrong one. (laughs) Friends, if you don't have a good foundation, when you find yourself in alternate circumstances, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. Even if you deliberately you thought this was the right way Paul is going to make sure that first of all you understand that he's not in trouble because something has went gone wrong in his life he is there as a part of God's total program so he's able to sit between those soldiers not as a prisoner of Rome but he's a prisoner of the Lord God is in control of my life. God is the one who has called me. I am in this position because of his design. So I will not crumble underneath of it. I am not defined by my circumstances. My nature determines my destiny. So he gives his credentials. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And as a result, he gave his command. He said, I beseech you or I entreat you. Now, in, in the English language, the, the two words sound so innocuous. I beseech you. He sounds like a, like a whiny person. I beseech you. He doesn't have anything to it. I entreat you. Even that sounds like you want your, your, the, the last chord of the song, and you're hoping that it will make some sense. I entreat you. Those two words, just yak. (laughs) I'll tell you what the word is. I admonish you. To admonish means, my friends, that you know what ought to be taking place, and you're not doing it. I admonish you. I am calling you. To what you have been called to. This is why he made it a command. I beseech you. I admonish you. Please come over. Realize that you are far below what you have been called to. You're far below. To realize that that something else should be taking place. Apart from what is taking place. He's calling them to a higher level of living based upon the new life they had been given. And you and I face that every day, do we not? There are all kinds of experiences that you and I go through every day of our lives that sometimes you just want to, the proverbial, stop the world and I want to get off. But Paul says you don't have to say that. You really don't have to say that. You know, how, how did I feel yesterday when I ended up at the wrong place? I assure you, I didn't curse. I don't know how to. It reminds me of the pastor who was telling the congregation what happened to him, he was doing some work, and he hit the wrong thumb. And he said, when that hammer hit the wrong nail, I said. And everyone sat up. And he thought, "This, I, I'm going to redeem this moment. He said, I'm going to tell you what I said tonight in the service. So he had an evening service like he'd never had before. (laughs) What do pastors say when they hit the wrong nail? And so he said, not to keep you in suspense anymore, I said, ouch. (laughs) You'd expect something else, wouldn't you? (laughs) What do you say when you hit the wrong nail or when someone hit the wrong nail on you? See, this is what Paul is dealing it with. This Christian life has to be a lot more than just ideas I have in my head about being born again. What it means that when I begin to walk, this is what he's saying. I want you to walk worthy of the calling. You will find things that will challenge your walk. But how you walk will tell the reality of your calling. So he gave them a command. I admonish you. Listen to what I am saying. The reason I can speak to you in this this sense of confidence is because Rome is not controlling where I am. Christ is. Christ is. Then he gave his conviction. His credentials, I'm an apostle. His command, I admonish you. His conviction, again in verse 1. I, am, I, 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 I ask you, I implore with you, says the New American Standard, to walk. The, the word walk is a word which means the way you carry yourself around. The way in which you conduct your going out and your coming in. It is what makes people know who you are because of the way you're walking. So Paul said, I want you to walk in a way that is consistent with the calling which you have for your walk. I don't want you to just feel that you can get along with simply knowing what you believe without living what you believe. Because if anything The Christian life is not simply what I think. It is not simply what I believe. The Christian life is how I live as a result of what I think and what I believe. This is what it is. I have a note here in my notes about Yaakov. Yaakov went to his friend, Simeon, and he said to him, I want to tell you about Jesus. And Simeon said, don't tell me about Jesus. I don't want to hear about him. He said, the church has failed me so many times. I want nothing to do with the church, Christianity, or God. So please do not talk to me. If you want to come and visit me, it's fine. But don't tell me anything I don't want to hear. Yaakov tried every possible way to talk to his friend, to his friend. Finally, he said, I want to say something to you. Supposing someone steals your coat and goes and he robs a bank. And when they rob, uh, this person robs the bank, the one thing that identifies the culprit is the coat he's wearing. Well, Yaakov said, well, that would be terrible because I wasn't wearing the coat. So why should I be accused of robbing the bank? Ah, he said, I see what you're getting at. I see. You want to say that because the church has failed... And they were wearing the wrong coat. And because the church disappointed you when they were wearing the wrong coat, that's because they were wearing the wrong coat. That's it. Ah, Yaakov, I see what you're trying to do. Yaakov said nothing. A few weeks later, he called Yaakov and he said to him, I want to thank you for wearing the coat the right way. I have watched your life, I have seen your walk and the coat that you are wearing is the coat that Jesus wore and you are wearing it correctly. My friends, that's the walk. He couldn't speak with his lips but he was able to speak with his life. And every time Yaakov, he respected the fact he didn't want to hear. So Yaakov said, you'll have to observe my life then. And he did. And because Yaakov walked worthy of the Lord, the right coat was seen on the right person. And someone who didn't want to hear about Jesus Christ wanted to hear because the representative of Christ wore the coat well. How well do you wear your Christian coat? Your walk. How well do I wear my Christian coat? My walk, at home, on the road, at school, on the job. How well do I wear the coat of my foundation? Walk, worthy. That's Paul's conviction that the Christian life I guess it's G.K. Chesterton who puts it this way. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been tried and found difficult and left untried. That, my friend, the walk, it's no piece of cake. Because sometimes our walk is going to take us where we are misunderstood, where we are accused wrongly, Our walk will take us where we have to pay the price and the way you wear the coat will tell whether you're on the foundation. So let me go to my second point, the apostolic address. Chapter 4, verse 2. He's making his address and I want you to see the content of what he's saying. This is how we should then walk. This is then how we should, should live. Nothing, nothing in the calling has to do with the physical awareness of things. Nothing. Listen to what he says. You should walk in lowliness or humility. That is, pride is replaced. You should, you should walk in meekness or gentleness. Arrogance is replaced. You should walk in long-suffering or patience. (laughs) You know what you you replace with this? A short fuse. A short fuse. Patience. Long-suffering. That sometimes you see certain things happening that grieves you. But you realize that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I must walk with God in patience because he had patience on me. His spirit lives in me. Now I can have patience with others. That's what (laughs) long-suffering. My mother used to say to me, how many times must I tell you? And that's after the first time. None of these characteristics was important to the world in which Paul lived. The Greeks and the Romans wanted nothing to do with humility and meekness and gentleness. Those were signs of weakness. And A.W. Tolzer, I guess, puts it best. He said, if you want to know how to live the Christian life, just think the opposite of what the world is saying. And here it is. Humility. Humility is the result of having been confronted by the the greatness of God. And if God is so great and yet he looks on me, what do I have to boast about? Meekness is where God brings under control my spirit. Where he, someone said, Meekness is like someone who who owns a horse. And that horse is a wild stallion. And the the, 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 the trainer works with that horse until he brings his wildness under control. The, 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 The strength is still there. The energy is still there. But now it is under someone else's control. That's what Paul is saying. Patience. Have you ever thought, my friends, have you ever thought how Jesus lived with Judas for all those years and Judas never called him Lord? Patience. Long-suffering. I don't have a short fuse. (laughs) When the two disciples came to Jesus, when the two disciples came to Jesus, John and James, you know what Jesus called them? Sons of thunder. Because they had short fuses. And by the time Jesus was finished with them for three years, From that time, it was never the same again. It was never the same again. When John saw him, John said, Behold the Lamb of God. We have seen him. We have touched him. We have tasted of him. And so, when John is going to write later on, we hear these words. The disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. He was never the same. Time spent with Jesus altered James, their their spirit. They even wanted to control the spirit of Jesus at one point when they were walking through Samaria. And the Samaritans would not listen to what Jesus was saying. And James and John said, I love this. They look into the face of Jesus and said, do you want us to call fire and burn these people down? I mean, isn't it, isn't it amazing we want to give God information about what he's supposed to do with things? But we do that even now. Even now. You know, I, I find myself, and I'm, I'm telling you this because it is true. I find myself in, in, my, in my prayer life, more and more I'm doing this, less and less, telling God what he's supposed to do. Because we pray that way sometimes. Lord, you know what my wife is like. You know what my children are like. You know what my husband is like? And and, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm thinking, I heard Chuck Swindoll telling the story. He said, this this husband, this wife and husband were having a very difficult time, he said. And so they decided to, to pray for a while to see how they could take care of what was going wrong. And, and one day she, she came to her husband and they were talking. Uh, Chuck Swindoll told the story, so find fault with him if you don't like it, I want to tell you. And, and so he said to, she said to him, I have been praying about our relationship for quite a while now. And I think that God has given me the answer. He said he must call one of us home. And when you go... <laughs> When you go, I will take care of things. <laughs> Isn't that the way we pray sometimes? We tell God what the other is supposed to do so that we can do what we want to do. But George MacDonald, who in the late 19th century talks of this, he said, I am constantly Allowing God to change me while I wait on him to change my wife. I am constantly allowing God to change me. As I wait on him. And I don't say, how long will it take Lord? I said, Lord, as long as it takes you to change me. That long I will wait on you to change her. This past week, I heard that Congress, the uh, rating came out for the U.S. Congress. Did anyone hear this? You know what what the, the, the rate is for the U.S. Congress right now? 10%. 10%. Have you ever seen them on Channel 350? Or whatever channel it is in your area? Oh, what a horrible scene. I tell you, there's no way I would change that for Flintstones. <laughs> it is horrible. And, 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 and the bickering and the fighting and, and all the, 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 the name-calling, the suggestions, the innuendos. My friends, that is possible in Congress, but it should never be possible in the church. Never. This is what Paul is saying. The church is made up of people who are built on the foundation. And in their presence there is, there is, there is an absence of pride. There is an absence of arrogance. There is an absence of a short fuse. And the, the, you know what the fourth one is? Forbearance. Forbearance. You know what forbearance is? Do you know what a forbearing person is? A forbearing person is someone who goes to someone who is just failing again and again and say, I'm going to sit with you, I'm going to stand with you, I'm going to pray with you until victory is yours. That's what a forbearing person is. Look at the company that he addressed. That's the content that he addressed. Look at the company to one another. (laughs) This is what he said. I want you to work in humbleness of spirit, in gentleness of spirit. I want you to work with humility. I want you to work with tolerance. I want you to work with patience among yourselves. When I did my master's program in graduate school, I did my work on, and I titled it, how to make this is, how to make decisions in the friends and still how to make decisions in the church and still be friends afterwards. See, because all I have known almost throughout my life are churches that just come together north of where I was in Toronto. A church that was beginning to flourish. And in those days, twelve hundred people in the church was a big church in, 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 in North Toronto where we lived. And all of a sudden something happened and that pastor who had a doctor's degree was just dethroned from his responsibility. When I heard it, I could hardly believe it. And so one day I talked with him and I shared with him and he was one who had to read my paper. And I said to him, I want your honest opinion if this, what I have in this paper, and he had to give a report back to the school, so he was telling me the truth. If this paper had been practiced in your church before what happened, do you think it could have avoided it? And he said, without a question. Without a question. You see, my friends, what happens with one another is pride says, I am. And pride says, I am. And when pride says, I am, and pride says, I am, what do you have? Confrontation. Conflicts. I, I tell you, Lois and I, just before we left Toronto, we were sitting in an evening service in the church. And, and as we the, the pastor came to the end of his message. All of a sudden, someone stood up in the back. I mean, this is another huge church in Toronto. I got to be careful not saying where these things are because I guess we're on the web, then people will know what I'm talking about. But it, it, was, it wasn't news, friends. Someone from the back stood up and shouted to the, past, to the congregation first I would like you to stay back. We have a matter we want. To discuss the pastor from the front said, I ask you not to. This is an evening service. Please listen, friends, and I say this because it is possible if these things are not present in the church. The next week they had a business meeting and they had to call the police. Paul says, Walk according to your calling. God has called you to walk way above what takes place in Congress. Way above what takes place in Parliament. Way above what takes place in the ordinary world. You are not an ordinary people. You are built upon the foundation, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. So Paul said, this is to one another. I don't don't need to to go through all this. But my friends, I want you to realize that one of the reasons that Jesus Christ shed his blood is so that you and I could sit and communicate with one another. Yet you and I can sit and share with one another that we bring our disagreement at his feet and say, Lord, please help us to see how we can overcome this not lord please help left to see that right is wrong this is the calling of the church friends this is why the world doesn't believe us because all the world knows about the church are fights and and the only time we hear of of a pastor in certain places is when there is some kind of terrible behavior of the pastor but Paul said, we should be known for our loneliness of mind, our meekness of spirit, our long-suffering, and our forbearance. This is the calling of God's people. That is the height to which you have been called. Let me quickly get to my last point. Verse 3. The apostolic aspiration. What does Paul want? He said this. I want you to do your very best to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of love. Undergirding everything that takes place in the church is that superior love to the world. That love which is kind. That love which is sacrificial. That love which is pure. Everything should be undergirded by love. Nothing other other than that. Quickly. We are to conserve the unity. And I want you to look with me in verse 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Note it didn't say to create the unity. It says to preserve it. It means that we have been handed the goods even before it was needed. The unity of the Spirit is something that God has arranged, that God has provided. So that when you, when you are building upon the foundation, what you need to do, what you need to be consistent, what you need to practice, all that has been provided for you. And here is unity. What is the unity of the Spirit? We'll see some more next week. But Paul is saying, it is possible this is what we've been called to. And God isn't mocking us. When he did that, he's not mocking us. He's saying the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit exalts Christ in the church and when the Holy Spirit exalts Christ in the church, Christ exalts the Father and when the church are are actually surrounded, when the church is made up of people who are building on a foundation, we too glorify God. This is what we do, this is what we are all about. So the Spirit exhausts the Savior, and when the human spirit is in control of the theme of Paul, confusion and conflicts are overcome. Unity of the Spirit means that we are one. There is unanimity of faith, hope, and love. And lastly, we communicate unity. We communicate it. That is, Every time there is an issue, every time there is a need, our contribution to it is for the unity of the body. We're not about taking sides. I I was traveling with a minister, and I'll finish part of this next week. I was traveling with a minister at a funeral, and he was telling me about the difficulty he's having in his church because... People are in his church were people who were Christians who were laborers and people who belonged to the union. And he's saying, Winston, I don't know how to deal with this. And God gave me wisdom in responding to him. And I said this When God is in control, our greatest, greatest commitment is not to who is right but how to be righteous. Not who is right. Because you will, always be find, you will always be able to find on both sides, whatever. But how are we going to be righteous in what we do? Ah, oh, my friends, it's possible. You see, humility is the outcome of righteousness. Patience is the outcome of righteousness. Forbearance is, a, is, is all these things come out of the spirit. So when we're trusting him, we don't look for a solution for the problems. We use the solution that has been given to us when we became a part of his family. And Paul says, walk that way then. This is how we should live. And I trust that this is how Soderville Church will continue to live. Let us pray. Father, Oh, I pray that your word will accomplish your purpose. And and Father, I pray that if I have said anything that should not have been said, it will quickly fade from the minds of the people and only that which God wants them to hear will remain. And that is what his word says. So may we be the people whose nature is dictating our destiny in Jesus' name. Amen.